So we are in James chapter um, four, and we've covered at least the first four verses. We're going to try to finish up through 10 today. I'm not sure if we'll get that far, but we're going to do our best. And uh, I want to do this. I want to pick it up with um, reading the first 10 verses of, of chapter four of James, and then we'll dive into uh, dive into this as we seek to uh, uh, determine what it is the scripture is saying. This, by the way, verse five of this chapter is perhaps the most uh, troublesome pastor, uh, passage in knowing how to best determine what it is that, that James is saying. We'll get into that as we read it, but let's read it so we read it in context and then we'll go from there. Father, ask that you guide and direct and bless us as we read this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we ask that you would again just direct and guide. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires that battle within you? You, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. And you quarrel and fight, but you do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend it, uh, what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? He gives us more grace that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. All right. So uh, the issue with, with verse 5 is the question is this, what is the spirit he's referring to there? Holy and, Spirit. I'm sorry? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, that would be, that's where I fall on this situation in this particular passage. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. There are quite a few Bible scholars that think that it is referring to just the spirit of man in, order, in, in other words, the life that God's given to us when he breathed into Adam. Uh, and the reason that they, they question the idea that it being the Holy Spirit is because they say, well, James doesn't deal with uh, the pneumonology, the, 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 the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is, doesn't seem to come up in, in the book of James. And I guess my comment would be, so what? Um, I think it's, I think it's the, the Holy Spirit only because it says uh, that, you know, even... Um, as an example, um, in Romans 8, it says, for, for uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So I would take that to mean that um, in this particular passage, uh, when it says that uh, we don't want to cause um, uh, to live envious or the spirit to live enviously, I would say it's this Holy Spirit that doesn't want to be, we don't want to have him feel like, as though he is... Um, fighting for, if you will, uh, first place or the, the Lord to have first place in our lives. Again, it's it's a, a an interesting passage. I think, again, as I said, I really think that it's probably the Holy Spirit. And I've, I've only dwelled on this just a little. I, 
I spent a long time trying to figure this out, and I still come up with it. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Hey Val, one of the one of my footnotes in my yeah. Bible gives an alternative uh, for that phrase, the first phrase in that sentence. Uh -huh. It says uh, that God longs jealously for the human spirit He has placed within us. Yeah, so which which I kind of is consistent with what we discussed a few meetings ago of what do we mean by God's envy? You know, He's yeah. He's yeah, that's envious it. of our adultery or our chasing after uh, idols and things. Um, and that would seem to fit, in my mind, with this uh, paragraph here. And, and, and again, uh, you're, you're right. I've, I've read that particular uh, concept, you know, as the way to translate it. And it's just a matter of which one you want to believe. It, that works very well that way, the way that that was put in there. And if that's the case, well, that's great. And that's what it should be. And if, if it's the Holy Spirit, that works well in this particular passage, too. I don't know. Giuseppe, are you saying hi to us? or No. <laughs> uh, I believe that's the spirit that we have already from birth. It's the part of God that okay. wants to be reunited with the Holy Spirit. Number, I think, because of uh, uh, it's a general letter to the 12 tribes and not to only believers, according to the adding of James, to dwell tribes, they are scattered all abroad. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't specify. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not involved in talking to everybody uh, in a spiritual sense. Um, he told, because it's the spirit who dwells in us yearn je jealously. Um, the uh, the non-believer needs to hear the word of God naturally, and the word of God comes through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So there is a yearning to be reunited to God, our spirit. Yeah, I was it that there's a, a, a God-sized hole in right. us until... Right. Yeah, well, that's, and, and that's a that's a legitimate sure. um, reading. That's why I said that this is one of those things that I think if you, however you want to, to take it, I think there's a good uh, there is a good point that you could you can make a good argument for it. Um, it's not worth it's not a hill I'm worth I'm willing to die on. Um, but it's, but it's it makes good sense the way you guys have explained it. Uh, I tend to think still I'm still still personally thinking that it's the Holy Spirit, regardless, we get to heaven, we'll figure it out, maybe. Right. <laughs> it's one of those major, minor questions that I want to ask God about, and I'm sure that he's going to go, what is wrong with you, Val? Don't you understand it's whatever? And uh, right. somewhere, It's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> could be. Could yeah, be. Know. You know, um, yeah, Dan. Um, it's interesting. Um, I know that uh, <laughs> the way the Pentecostals look at this, um, the spirit dwells and yearns jealousy. Obviously, you know, our human spirit is, is um, you know, no to do good yet to do evil, that's sin. Mm -hmm. And um, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to point us out the way we look at the book of James the whole thing's about the Holy Spirit. 
And it's such a hard book because divine healing comes out of the book of James. Mm. And um, we, we don't realize how much we're caught up in everyday living and not totally selling out for the Lord. Um, okay. yeah. And I'm guilty of the same thing. So don't, <laughs> don't even think that. Well, uh, welcome to the club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, so, think, I think I might be, not only am I the president, but I'm an active participant. <laughs> you know, just about resist the devil, you know, and yeah. flee. The, the whole point of it is, is that we're so caught up with so much everyday stuff and we're warring against so much of the spirit and, mm-hmm. and pretty much as our own human spirit. Yeah. We're, we, it was, we're born with it, but it's the Holy spirit we need to overcome so much. Yeah. And, uh, we're so caught up in the world on day to day basis on um, whether it's politics, it's it, every aspect of it. And, you know, it's the Holy Spirit who's right, not my human spirit, because my human spirit leads me wrong a lot. And that's yeah. where, um, you know, chapter five, we get into sickness and disease, you know, a lot of times because we're just looking at stuff wrong. Subtly, we get carried away. Subtly, we get moved. So you see here, you have two diametric, two different answers on this. And they either have, there's good arguments on either side. Choose the side you're happy with and live and let it percolate in your life and live it out the way God wants you to live it out. We get over to verse six and he says, give us more, but he gives us more grace, which is why the scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What, what passage does that come from? Well, we think it probably comes from uh proverbs uh 3:34 which says he mocks the proud mocker and but gives grace to the humble chapter 4 yeah. drawing close to god <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so the issue then is uh, he reminds us that uh, in contrast to the spiritual adultery which he's already talked about he's now s- giving us the, the scriptural antidote to spiritual adultery, which is what? God gives grace, and God does that by asking us to draw closer to him. And the issue comes down to a problem of, of pride, which is often listed with the, in, in the lists of human uh, vices that, that scripture deals with. Um, it seems that pride is, is, very, is a close relation as a close relationship to uh, envy um we don't like it when we uh, when somebody has more than we do and so pride stirs up desires of all of those who are who who, who give in to the various temptations of the heart it leads to boasting it leads to haughtiness if you will um it can lead to arrogance on the other hand god says that he gives shows favor, if you will, to those who humble themselves. And the term humble is rooted in the condition of lowliness or poverty. And in, in, in this, what we're talking about here is not just poverty in the sense of being without money, but poverty in the sense of not having the riches that God wants to provide for us, that we are lacking of that until we recognize that we are lowly and poverty stricken that God will then get, uh, then work with us and help us and bring us to a, a place of uh, of wholeness 
And, and again, the, the idea of shalom uh, and all of it that it means is in there. Um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, David says uh, that I am a poor man and am a little known. Uh, I believe that's in First Samuel where he's talking about uh, his relationship um, of who he is and the story of uh, Saul wishing to make David his, uh, in, in essence, his uh, son-in-law. Now, uh, respond. this is after David has killed Goliath and et cetera. Remember, he promises, one of the things he promises is he'll give you, uh, uh, he'll give his daughter in marriage. And then, of course, in order to get that, then he goes on a little further and doesn't really, isn't too happy in giving David his daughter. So he says, well, you know, there is a, uh, you have to have a dowry. You have to give give a gift for, to me for her. And I want, I forget how many Philistines he wanted killed, but he wanted the, all of their foreskins. If you were 200. Right. Was it 200? Is that, that's a, yeah. that's yeah. a lot of, of <laughs> oh, men. A lot of men. That's a lot of cutting, I'm telling you. So, yeah, David says, you know, I'm, you know, but he is, he's simply saying, I'm, you know, I'm not well known as it, but God raises him up. And, and I think that that's what you have is that David's called a man after God's own heart. Uh, he's favored. He's great. He's given grace by God. He exemplifies, if you will, the, the pro that proverb that we just quoted, um, where it talks about that um, my screen is getting screwed. Here we go. That uh, he wants to give us grace if we are uh, if we are humble. This next set of things is kind of interesting. We're starting in verse seven through verse ten, and this is uh, I got a little digging to do here. But it says to if you were going to underline, and I'm suggesting you do. But if you were going to underline your Bible. These are the things that I would underline. Submit, resist, come near, wash, grieve, mourn, and wail. Oh, purify your heart, excuse me. Wash, purify, grieve, mourn, and wail, and humble yourselves. You want to know how, if you want to know what it means to repent, these are the, these are the steps, if you will, that go, you go through in repentance. It's interesting today that there's a whole branch of Christianity that, and I, I, I say that with perhaps air quotes around it, that says that the repentance, all that's necessary for you to repent is just change your mind. That that's, a, that's good enough. That's all you have to do. The problem with changing your mind and agreeing with what God has to say without going through the process of changing what we do is not a whole lot different than, than the, the demons. They agree with a lot of what God has to say. They just don't do it, and they chose to rebel against him. And the result is that they've lost their ability to, to be reconciled to God. So repentance begins with an exhortation to submit to God as opposed to being opposed to God. It's a call to stop resisting God in anything and in every way. The problem that I have often is that I want to submit just, but only part of submission. And I know I'm the only one that has that problem, but I, it's like, well, I'll give you this God, but I'm, I'm going to keep this to myself because I don't want to have to give away all of the stuff that I really like, you know, 
even though you say it's not good for me. You know, it's like my doctor telling me I need to watch certain things on my diet so like, it helps with my my diabetes. Well, you know, the problem is that every once in a while I go, you know, that pasta looks really good. I think I'm going to have a big old second helping of that. Not really what the doctor says I should do. Or have another, have a big slice of cake, you know? So th there are stages that, that we talk about about conversion being repentance repentance is not only changing your mind but changing direction it's i was going this way and i realized that i was wrong and i have to turn 180 degrees and go back towards where god wants me to be that's number one number two would be reconciliation conversion would be another uh, another step true humility uh is is a, is another step he addresses uh his addresses are here. He's talking to people who are already believers and that they want to have communion with God. That happens if you go through the right steps. Again, submit. Don't oppose God. Um, it, it talks about the fact that, uh, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of problems with the conflicts within this community. And uh, James is writing about the need for immediate resolution but he says, here's the thing he says, turn to God first. So often what happens is that we will pray about the other person that we're in disagreement with. We might even pray with them to have this happen. But we fail to do the very first thing, which is to pray and to talk to God about it. Because when there is opposition between us and somebody else, it's also a problem between us and God. So we need to make sure that we are in, in alignment with what God wants us to do. We need to be submitted and reconciled to each other. That's great. But we need first to be submitted and reconciled to God on a daily basis. That's the kind of conflict management that God wants us to do. And so often we want to do everything else but deal with our issues with God. Because if we hate our brother, doesn't that say that we're also hateful of God, according to First? John, mm -hmm. just saying. Yeah. All right. Next, we talked about the next admonishment is for us to do this, is to resist the devil and he will flee. And it's interesting that, again, resisting is different than opposing. You're not going on the attack. You're really going on the defensive. You're resisting him. This is why when you talk about the, you know, that we have the shield of faith, which is able to quench the fiery darts that the devil is, uh, is shooting at us out of Ephesians chapter six. We're not told to go on the offensive against that. We're just simply told to resist him. And when we resist him, he will flee. Our job is not to counterattack Satan. Our job is to resist him. Let God do the, the heavy lifting. Uh, absolute evil is never a, po a positive force. It's always a negative force. And evil cannot uh, coerce the human uh, will, but it will make it dependent upon it. And it acts more like a, a parasite, if you will. If you are truly a, a child of God, you cannot necessarily be, be in, you cannot be possessed by a demon, I believe, but you can be influenced by a demon. A demon can come into your life and influence you. Um, 
the devil is not called a tempter uh, in, in James. Uh, temptation is a result of evil desire within ourselves, according to James chapter 1, verse 14. And it says here that if we consciously resist him in submission to God, the devil cannot fight back and he has to flee with our resistance. So how do you know the devil is, it might be present? Well, I would say this, whenever there's envy and selfish ambition are present in the conflicts and the quarrels that we have with one another, I'd say probably the devil is there or one of his one of his minions. The world is in conflict with the, the Father. The flesh fights against the Holy Spirit. The devil opposes his, the Son of God. Pride is Satan's greatest sin and is the one of his chief weapons, I believe, that he uses against us in this, our, as, as saints. God wants us to be humble. Satan wants us to be proud. After all, he said to Eve, what? If you eat of this tree, you will be as God. You will be like God. Hmm. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul's to Timothy in chapter, First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse six says, to to make sure that you don't put someone, uh, new Christians uh, should not be placed in spiritual leadership because the problem is they could be lifted up with pride, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I'm always amazed when we seem to think that we can. I, I have had pastors tell me, well, we're going to put so-and-so on the board because we think he'll grow into becoming a, a, a better Christian. No, no, that's not why you put them on as an elder or a deacon. You put them on there because they already have shown that they have spiritual maturity. Now, it's true that, that being a, a, an elder, hopefully it means that you're going to continue to grow in your uh, wisdom and knowledge of God, but it doesn't mean that you start off by being less than what you need to be. You don't meet the qualifications. You have to meet the qualifications. All right, but God wants us to depend on what? His grace. He gives more grace. One of the songs says, he gives more grace and the burdens grow greater. We talk about having an extra measure of grace when we go through difficult times. We ask for God to provide us for that. Our problem is that if we're going to be humble, we're going to serve. And the problem we have so often today is that we have too many celebrities in Christianity and not nearly enough servants. People who are willing to do what needs to be done, regardless of whether they get any praise for it or not. I know, I know. It's not something we want to hear. Hey, Val, I noticed in, uh, in a lot of writing of James here, he seems to use the term the world and the devil interchangeably. Like, Do you think those two things mean the same to him? I mean, I typically don't look at it that way, but... Uh, no, I, personally, I don't. No, like, because remember that... You, you got to take the entire entirety of the Bible. You can't just take James alone and say, okay, we're going to build our, our theology out of, out of a particular aspect. I believe he's talking about the world, which is, again, the society, the, 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 the way that the world 
works. It isn't talking about the physical world that we're talking about, you know, the earth. We're talking about the, the concepts of the way the human government, which often is in, is in um, a fight against God. Uh, it's talking about, we talk about three particular enemies that we face. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil. So there are three things I think Paul, or uh, James here is just referring to the world and the devil as two separate entities, but closely aligned. I think the world's way of looking at things is closely aligned to the way that, that the devil wants us to think. So, yeah, are, are they partners? Yeah, I think they're partners. But I don't think they're the same. Um, we're talk, we talk here about submitting ourselves. I, I'm still I'm kind of nail, jumping on this up and down here a bit, but I, I think it's important we understand that in, this is a military term. Gary, your, your son ought to love this because it means getting your proper rank. In other words, you, you know where, you're, where you are in the pecking order, you know? Submit to God. He's the general. He's the chief, you know, he's the commander in chief, if you will. And it's not up to the private or the sergeant or the lieutenant or the captain or the major or the colonel or, or even a general to tell the chief, you know, the, the commander in chief what he should do. It, get in your proper ranks. It, that's how we understand. And don't give place to the devil. That's what Ephesians 4, Paul says that. Satan needs a foothold. When we allow Satan to get a foothold, then he can have a control in our lives. We're told to, sub to resist him, and what will happen is we will, uh, he will flee from us. Then I find this interesting. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Does that sound like any possible story that Jesus tells in the Gospels? I think there's a little hint here of that story. Come near to God and he will come near to you. There was this story about this kid and the lady in the world, no. that decides that he wants his father's inheritance Money. before his yeah. father dies. Yeah. And he runs away. And then he comes to his senses and he comes back to God. He turns back to his father and as his father sees him, his father runs to him. But what happens first? He draws near to his father. And therefore, his father draws near to him. I just thought it was kind of fascinating. We looked at that. We're, we're told to draw near to God. When, when we submit to him, when we resist the devil, we, we have a natural inclination, I believe, to draw near to him, to get close to him. Um. When, when my grandchild, my granddaughter, Louisa, when she saw her parents, she went running to them. Why? She wanted to be close to them. And they moved towards her. It's a natural inclination. So we're told to do that. Then we're told also to wash our hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. I have a couple of things I want to talk about in that. One is hands and heart. What do you get from that? I get two things, actions and attitudes. You need to have the right actions and you need to have the right attitude. I think the other thing that's kind of points out here is another aspect. 
at the Last Supper, remember Jesus gets up after, from the table, he puts on, he takes off his outer garment, puts on a cloth, gets a basin of water, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Because none of them had the willingness to submit to each other and to be a servant to them. So the master decides to teach them perhaps one of the last greatest lessons he can teach them, that they need to be willing to submit to each other. And we get to Peter, and Peter goes, whoa, 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 not, not so fast, Lord. Uh, you're, you're not going to, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you, you can't be a part of me. And Jesus, and, Paul, and Peter says, well, then just not my feet, but everything. Give me a sponge bath. And remember what Jesus says, you're clean. It's just that you've been out, basically you've been out in the world and you got a little dirty. Your hands and your feet get a little dirty. You need to wash them. And I think that's the point here is we're talking about washing our hands. We don't need to wash the whole body. We just need to wash our hands and purify our hearts. There's another aspect of this, which I find really fascinating. Do you know how uh, when the priests in the Old Testament went to offer sacrifices to God, do you know what they went through, what they did first? They offered their own sacrifice. Yeah. They, yeah. they had to cleanse themselves. Yeah, they had to examine go their hearts. What we do, you know, taking um, yeah. communion. Deal, deal with yeah. the sin of their hearts and deal with the sin that, you know, had easily beset them on their hands <clears throat> and over their feet. They, they go to the labor and they wash. They make sure that their self, they themselves are pure before God in their heart before they can offer the sacrifice. Think about this. When we offer sacrifices, uh, what is uh, what does Jesus say in in um, oh, um, the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, I think it's a chapter six, and then in chapter eighteen, he says the same thing, but in reverse. He says uh, in one passage, he says, "If you go to bring your uh, your sacrifice, your offering to the, and you're going to give it at the temple, and you know that somebody that, that you have the a relationship that's broken with someone first, what are you supposed to go do? Go Correct make a relation, yeah." regardless of who's at fault and that's why you've got those two passages one says if they have ought against you go and get it right the other one says if you have ought against them you so regardless of who's at fault you're supposed to go and make it right then come and bring your sacrifice bring your offering give it to the lord why you've just done what you've cleansed your hands and your heart so we have here this whole aspect of being uh the priesthood of the believers of offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God and are sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 15 verse 16 or uh, in in uh, first Peter uh, 2 9 where it says he's called us uh, to be uh, a kingdom of priests and to uh, who and to declare our praise of him God the Father and God the Son who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life light in Revelation, we're told over and over again, or a couple of times, that we're, we're a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And uh, that we are, in, in Revelation, near the right end of the, uh, the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy are those who are part of the first resurrection. Second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. We need to be priests. We've talked about this in the past. We studied James, uh, when we studied First Peter. 
this idea is that sin can cause spiritual uncleanness, and it's particularly a, a, that it gets on our appendages, our hands, our feet. Those are the ones that, because it, it represents acts of sin, if you will. And so we need to symbolically cleanse that, our hands, our heart, uh, in a way that brings honor to God and brings us back into um, a right relationship. I've already talked about it. It's in John chapter 13, where Jesus says, don't wash my feet. Unless, and Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And he, he says, no, 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 wait a second. You're already clean because of the world, because of the word I've spoken to you. You're already clean is what he says in John 15, 3. Uh, John, in Isaiah 1, 6, it says that we are to wash ourselves and make ourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Okay, cleanse yourselves, get right with me. So that's what we're called to do. And how are we doing on time here? We've got a couple of minutes. All right, draw near to God. Pat, one of the passages, I, one of the writers I wrote, and it could have been uh, Tozer that said this, is the more we are like uh, the more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. And I added the note to myself, the nearer I am to God, the more like God I become. I think both sides are true. We need to draw near to God. Nearness, uh, Tozer also went on to say, uh, his book was called uh, Nearness is Likeness. And he says, we need to realize that we are, we need to draw near to God. And the more that we like God, the more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. Uh, and I throw out to you the example that, that I had when I was studying voice and I came home <clears throat> one summer and I was singing in, in my church my home church, and uh, I had this gentleman come up to me who I I didn't know, and uh, he said, you must study with Bill McCauley. I go, yeah, I do. And he, I, he says, uh, Bill's my son, and he says, you sound exactly like him. Your mannerisms, the way you, you form your words, how you phrase things. You, I, I, can I, hear, I hear my son in your voice when you sing. Why? Because... Well, that's who I studied with. And the more I studied with him, the more time I spent with him, the more I likely like him I became. And by the way, that goes on to say that when you're with people, you're going to become like them. You ever notice that when you're around somebody and they have a, a particular phrase or two that they use and they use it a lot, that you start to pick it up? Okay, I know none of you do that. It's just me. I find I start sounding like the people I'm around. I can be both good and bad. So God says, humble yourself. And Proverbs 6, we'll get to kind of wrap it up here in just a little bit. We're just about there. Proverbs 6, verses 19, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things that Yahweh hates and seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among themselves. We need to be understanding. We need to be humbled in, inwardly. Our tendency often, too often, is that we treat sin much lighter than what God does. And here it, we get to this end where he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. He's talking about this. Take your, take your sin seriously. It, 
Psalm 51, which is the, the psalm of repentance, so when David recognizes that he has sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan comes before him and accuses him of sin, and finally the walls that David has built up around his heart are broken down, and he says this in Psalm 51, verse 17, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of, of, of sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You know, it. I'll tell you what you don't want to say. You don't want to. You don't want to pray. Oh Lord, humble me. It'd be a whole lot easier if we just humbled ourselves before God first, confess our own sins, weep over them, turn from them. That's what God wants. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, To a man will I uh, I look, even to him who is poor and of contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. I'm speaking out of the King James. By the way, I'm sorry, that's in Isaiah chapter 66. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is nigh to those who are of a broken heart, and saveth such as has a contrite spirit. Isaiah 32 says that we the works of the righteous shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, Righteousness quiets and assures uh, forever. So we're told to do this. And we're told if we do this, God will draw near to us. I, I've got more, but I'm going to stop us there and just say this. We, realize, we need to realize that we are wretched, poor, naked, blind, and we need God. That's not to say that we weren't created in his image. But we sinned, we failed, and, and God will lift us up. And too often, churches spend a lot of time emphasizing the brokenness that we have and how sinful we are. And that's true. But you notice it says that in, in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 10, it says, if, you humble, if we humble ourselves, it says he will lift us up. So God has a plan for us, and it's to be with him and to be close to him. But we need to humble ourselves first. And when we do that, God won't be far from us.